thank the Lord once again for you joining our Truth Matters podcast today. And this is Pastor Adams, president and founder of Truth Matters Ministries in Atlanta, Georgia. We're so mindful of the great contributions of so many great men, one of the great leaders of the app, the Church of Jesus Christ, and those who are apologetic leaders such as Ravi Zacharias, who went to be with the Lord within the last month. He having his headquarters here in Atlanta, Georgia, and being one of the great catalysts and one of the great teachers and solid foundations and inspiration for so many members of the body of Christ. We just dedicate this entire series on Calvinism to the memory of Ravi Zacharias. And today, as we prepare to go into this teaching on Calvinism reformed or deformed, we want to pause and pray. Father, we thank you today for your love. We thank you for your many blessings. We give your name praise today because we know that you are our God. You can do anything but fail. We thank you that we have hope and we have confidence, not just in the name that we read within Holy Scripture, but we thank you that you've leapt off the pages of Scripture and you've reached out and you've embraced us in the Spirit. You've become alive in our communion as we pray. You speak to us. You always guide us. You comfort us. You strengthen us. You give us companionship and you stick closer to us than any brother. We thank you, Holy God. We rest in you. Our hope is in you. And we pray today that someone listening to this podcast will find hope in the assurance of your so great of salvation that they can accurately appropriate and they can apprehend and comprehend the great truths about salvation, that they can make a distinction between wheat and chaff, that which is authentic and that which is counterfeit. The Holy Spirit does its job today. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. And in our last podcast, we had spoke about and started introducing you to John Calvin and who he was as a person. We originally found out that John Calvin was somewhat of a tyrant and he was an extremist and he violated so many tenets of scriptures as it relates to proper conduct and doctrine. We had shared about how he had killed Amy Perrin and how he had tortured and sent 58 sentences of death to people who opposed his theology and sent another 76 into exile out of Geneva and how he even went to Amy Perrin's family and he punished and burned up his home and he had forced people to believe in his institutes and his deformed presentation of the gospel. 
and he practiced forced regeneration. And we're at Truth Matters, unfortunately, we when that's bad enough, we hate to testify that there's even more about John Calvin, the man that perhaps has eluded even Calvinist. <clears throat> we're mindful of Michael Servetus. He was a Spaniard physician, he was a scientist, and he was a Bible scholar who was born in Villanova in the year 1511. Michael Servetus, he was credited with the discovery of right chamber pulmonary circulation, very, very dynamic in his medical expertise. At the time, he was Calvin's friend in their early resistance to the Roman Catholic Church. But what happened was Servetus angered Calvin by returning a copy of Calvin's writings, the Institutes. And when he returned it, he put critical comments in the margins about what was wrong with Calvin's Institutes. And as a result, John Calvin got upset and angry, full of pride, full of anger. And he had Servetus arrested on April 4th. But Servetus escaped from prison on April 7th, 1553. And when he escaped, he traveled to Geneva where <clears throat> he attended Calvin's Sunday service. And when Calvin saw him come into service, he promptly arrested Servetus again. And he charged Michael Servetus with heresy. Why? For disagreeing with the writings of the Institutes. The 38 official charges against Servetus included rejection of the Trinity and infant baptism. But Servetus, he pleaded to just, if, if I'm going to be killed, just behead me so I can die quickly. But John Calvin said, no. I'm going to initiate the more brutal burning at the stake. <clears throat> Protestant churches all over Switzerland advised Calvin to not kill Servetus. John Calvin, so full of fear and anger and pride, he ignored each and every one of them and he burned Servetus at the stake on October 27th, 1553. It's reported that Servetus was screaming as he was being baked alive from his feet upward for 30 minutes before he actually succumbed to the flames. Michael Servetus had written a theology book, a copy of which Calvin took it, and he strapped that theology book to Michael Servetus' chest so that his book would burn and bake with Michael Servetus. I want you just to chew on that for a minute. John Calvin was so proud of his killing Servetus, he went about bragging and celebrating it. Many religious and state leaders criticized Calvin for the unwarranted killing of Michael Servetus. <clears throat> And he didn't stop. John Calvin also targeted Gentili, 
Gentile was of a, an Italian sect in Geneva. They were more or less Unitarian in their views. They were required to sign a confession drawn up by Calvin in 1558. Gentile was condemned and was imprisoned as a perjurer. But Gentile, he escaped twice from prison. But he was finally beheaded in 1566. Calvin also had 34 women burned at the stake after accusing these women of causing the plague that swept through Geneva in 1545. Hmm. When you think about it, John's Calvin's actions were paganistic, just like his mentor Augustine. Jesus and the apostles of Scripture never taught. They never condoned such horrific mass murders. The history of Calvin's reign of terror is well documented. Calvin himself had historical rec records that he kept that still survive to today. John Calvin had no love. He had no compassion. He had no tolerance for anyone who didn't believe in his institutes. Calvin inserted marginal notes during his reading the Bible. His comments were contrary to the text in many instances. His commentary and notes were instrumental in the formation of what is known as the Geneva Bible. In 1560, it was completed four years before his death in 1564. The Geneva Bible and the doctrines of Calvin spread across Europe as church leaders used the margin notes as a basis of their preaching and lectures. Now you know the rest of the story. King James opposed the Geneva Bible and didn't support it until John Reynolds, a doctor of the Puritans in the famous Hampton Court Conference, convinced King James to authorize the printing of the new Bible that didn't have the marginal notes. So King James authorized the work to begin and he sanctioned 54 Greek scholars to translate the Texas Receptus, as well as the other 5,000 Greek manuscripts, and today it is known as the Authorized King James Version of the Bible, which was completed in the year 1611. See, we at Truth Matters have revealed that Calvin was a tyrant. He was a religious zealot, full of anger, rage, intolerance, envy, and pride distancing himself from all of the fruit of the Spirit and the tenets of scriptures that talked about having a pure and gentle heart, of loving someone and caring about your neighbor more than yourself, living peaceably with all men, walking in what the Bible calls truth, love, meekness, temperance, love and faith, kindness and long-suffering, None of those fruits existed in the life of John Calvin. It must be said that King James was no godly man either. King James was a racist. He was also a pervert. And he was an alleged homosexual. See, this is similar to many people calling General Custer and Edgar Hoover as great Americans. 
although they were racist and they supported ethnic cleansing. What's the point here? Today, so many hail Calvin as if he was the model of purity and godly character. As if his portrayal, as if he was God's conduit in dispensing divine revelation to the world. That's how he's revered today. All the Calvinists that I speak to and listen to and study, that's how they revere John Calvin. However, John Calvin demonstrated none of the fruit of the Spirit. No joy, no faithfulness, no gentleness, no patience, no temperance, no kindness, no love. Just because men are influential does not equate to godliness or them exercising biblical precision in their exposition of the scriptures. The church today does not need to look to the interpretations and teachings of John Calvin. We at Truth Matters declare that Jesus Christ and the apostles will do. I want to just discuss for a few minutes about the canons of Dort as we build and shape the formation of Calvinism in the world today. The Dutch church convened in the Senate of Dordrecht. I remember actually driving from Germany to the Netherlands and I went to Dordrecht and right by the river I went into a guest house and we stayed there and we were able to actually visit where the Synod of Dordrecht took place. The Synod of Dordrecht took place in 1610. What was the reason? It was to resolve the dispute between Romanstrants, which means the followers of Jacob, Arminius, and the Reformed Church, who were the followers of Calvin. <clears throat> and the agenda and the intent of them coming together was concerning the correct interpretation of the Bible. In the Reformed churches of the Netherlands, Jacob Arminius taught doctrines contrary to the established Reformed faith or Calvinism. The Remonstrants drew up five statements of doctrine which they set forth their own interpretation. The Calvinists answered the five points of the Arminians with their own five points. They've come to be known as the five points of Calvinism. The approval of the Calvinist view was predetermined by a prejudiced synod. See, Calvinists relished the victory by murdering many of their opponents as they fled Dordrecht for their lives. This is absolutely amazing when you look at history. They killed their opponents just like John Calvin killed his opponents. Far from walking in the spirit and following the pure admonitions of love and mercy and judgment and peace that's found in scripture. They operated as two gangs just like the Bloods and the Crips killing someone who crossed their territory or didn't pledge allegiance to their positions socially. Jesus and the apostles never murdered and slaughtered their opponents, but they merely prayed for them and reasoned with them from the scriptures. But Calvin and Calvinists continued to behead, cut with the axe, burn at the stake. Charles I eventually succeeded King James in England, the Calvinists gained control of the English parliament and waged war against the king. They abolished the episcopacy. They 
ejected 2,000 royalist ministers, kicked them out, summoned the Westminster Assembly, executed Archbishop Laud, and eventually the king himself in the year 1649. The majority of Calvinistic thinking is summed up in the 33 chapters of the Westminster Confession. We had spiritual coups and revolts and all of these things were designed to take and have dominance over people. The canon of Dort should be called or should not be called or confused with the canons of Scripture. For they are not the biblical measurement or standard presented by the holy writers or apostles. The canons of Dort were doctrines opposing Arminius. It was based upon a distorted premise. See, it verifies little from what the, and it really varies little from what the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society does. Just think about it historically. There was a man named Arius of Alexander who presented a premise that Jesus Christ was not God. But he said that Jesus was just a created being himself. So the governing body of Watchtower Society established an interpretation and a doctrine that supported the premise of Arius. Just as the Watchtower, Calvinists close their eyes and support the premise of Calvin. Their method is to explain away clear truths of Scripture. That, that really demonstrate their error. Now, we're going to take a look at what is called the five points of Armenia. And let's just take a real quick look at them. The five Armenian articles that were presented in the year 1610. Article 1, that God, by an eternal, unchangeable purpose in Jesus Christ, his son, before the foundation of the world, had determined out of the fallen sinful race of men to save in Christ for Christ's sake and through Christ those who through the grace of the Holy Ghost shall believe on his son Jesus Christ and shall preserve in this faith and obedience of faith through his grace even to the end and on the other hand to leave the incorrigible and unbelieving in sin under the wrath and to condemn them as alienate from Christ according to the word of the gospel in John 3 36 he that believeth in the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth in him, according to other passages in Scripture also. And then you have Article 2, that agreeable hereto Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, died for all men and for every man, so that he has obtained for them all by his death on the cross redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Yet that no one actually enjoys this forgiveness of sins except the believer according to the word of the gospel in John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In the first epistle of John 2, and he is the propitiation of our sins and not for ours only but for the sins of the whole world. Article 3, that man has no saving grace of himself nor of the energy of his own free will nor of the energy of his free will, inasmuch as he, in the state of apostasy and sin, can and of by himself neither think, will, nor do anything that is truly good, such as saving faith eminently is, but that it is needful that he be born again of God and Christ, through his Holy Spirit and renewed in understanding, inclination of will, 
and of all powers, in order that he may rightly understand, think, will, and affect what is truly good according to the word of Christ. Without me, you can do nothing, as it states in John 15. Article 4. That this grace of God is the beginning, continuance, and accomplishment of all good, even to this extent, that the regenerate man himself, without preeminent or assisting awakening, following in cooperative grace, can neither think, will, nor do good, nor withstand any temptations to evil, so that all good deeds or movements that can be conceived must be ascribed to the grace of God in Christ. But as respects the mode of the operation of this grace, it is not irresistible, inasmuch as it is written concerning many that they have resisted the Holy Ghost. Acts, the seventh chapter, and elsewhere in many places. And Article 5, that those who are incorporated into, the, into Christ by a true faith, and have thereby, thereby become partakers of his life-giving spirit, have thereby full power to strive against Satan, sin, the world, and their flesh, and to win the victory, and being well understood that it is ever through the assisting grace of the Holy Ghost, and that Jesus Christ assists them through his spirit in all temptations, extends to them his hand, and if only they are ready for conflict, and to desire his help, and are not inactive, keeps them from falling, so that they, by no craft or power of Satan, can be misled or plucked out of Christ's hands according to the word of Christ. John 10 and 28. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand, but whether they are capable through negligence or forsaking again the first beginnings of their life in Christ, of again returning to this present evil world, or turning away from the holy doctrine which was delivered them, or losing a good conscience of becoming devoid of grace, that must be more particularly determined out of the holy scriptures, before we ourselves can teach it with the full persuasion of our minds. It is so important as we look at these texts to understand so clearly that the gospel of Jesus Christ and the teachings of Arminians are very similar with only a few exceptions and few deviations. So as we look at Tulip, Tulip was the what they call the response to counter the five points of Calvinism. So what do we have here? We have here the canon of Dort adjourned and presented a new doctrine that countered the Arminian views. They're known as the five points of Calvinism. T stands for total depravity. U stands for unconditional election. L stands for limited atonement. I stands for irresistible grace. And P stands for the preservation of of the saints. So if I could just give you just a brief summary of what it says is that man was totally depraved and he had no good thing in him where he could even respond to God. He was dead in trespasses and sins. And since he was dead in trespasses and sins, there was nothing in him where he could even respond to the gospel. And since he could not respond to the gospel, God had to execute unconditional election, which means based upon no good thing, based upon no condition that was in man, he just elected men just like throwing a dart 
at a, at a, at a target, whoever it lands upon. And then, since he had unconditional election, he didn't elect everyone, but he had limited atonement. What does that mean? Since he only elected some men for no condition and for no reason, other it was just his choice, he only died for those who he elected. So he didn't die for the whole world. He just had a limited atonement just for the ones who he considered the elect. The rest of the people who he didn't choose, they are all going to hell because Jesus' blood is not available for them. And then those who he elected, he executed irresistible grace. He sent this overpowering force which could not be resisted where those who he unconditionally elected could not resist his grace. So they would be saved whether they wanted to or not. And then those who he saved through this irresistible work would be preserved and they would never lose their salvation because of this power of irresistible grace as a result of his unconditional election would be in place. Now we at Truth Matters have researched these five points of Calvinism and we're going to go ahead and weigh them against the Word of God in light of the Word of God. Not what Augustine said and not by Calvin's deformed interpretations. So the first one we're going to jump into is what is called total depravity. And it's very important that we listen to the words of Lorraine Bettner, the Calvinist scholar. He, being a John, a Calvinist himself, said this. It must be initially stated that if one point can be demonstrated as being erroneous, then all of the five points tumble as the classic domino. They are not isolated and independent doctrines, but are so interrelated that they form a simple, harmonious, self-consistent system. And the way they fit together as component parts of a well-ordered whole, prove any one of them false, and the whole system must be abandoned. And we at Truth Matters Ministries, our intent is to demonstrate just how false they are and how dangerous they are. And we will say to anyone in our listening audience today is if you would be humble enough and place your heart in the neutral of learning and only let the truth of scriptures be your guide, we believe that the only course of action would be for you to abandon the teachings of John Calvin. And we thank God for you today taking time to join this Truth Matters podcast. And one thing that I'm just going to make sure that I repeat today because it's so true. It is so important. And this is what it says. Oprah Winfrey said, One thing I know for sure 
is that speaking the truth, it is the most powerful tool that we have. And after we speak the truth, the most important thing that anyone listening to this podcast must do is that you must accept that truth. Because after you hear the truth, you have to accept that truth. Because after you hear and know the truth, and you accept that truth, then and only then can the truth make you free. And our desire is that you be free in Jesus Christ. Amen.